Welcome to the Liberty Block Podcast. I'm Elliot Axelman, and thank you so much for listening today. On this episode, we have my interview I did on 1490 AM with Dr. Keith Smith. Dr. Smith co-founded the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which became famous in recent years for listing their cash prices online and for not taking any insurance. Enjoy the interview, and let me know what you think in the comments. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH. I'm your host, Elliot Axelman. Today we'll be exploring whether healthcare is better served by free markets or by strong government regulation. And we'll explore some other ways healthcare can be made as affordable and as effective as possible. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Dr. Keith Smith, who's the co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, what I refer to as a super free market surgical center. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Smith or for myself, the number is 203-661-5051. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the healthcare spending per capita in the U.S. has increased from $147 in the 1960s, $147 a year, to over $9,000 a year now, in 2017. This happened, in my opinion, at least in large part due to Lyndon B. Johnson, the president then, creating Medicaid, Medicare, introducing the requirement for certificates of need in order to create a hospital. You have to prove to the government that a hospital was necessary in that area, and lots of other health care regulations. Twenty years ago, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma was created by Dr. Smith and his partner, Dr. Lantier, two anesthesiologists. They based it on a simple idea, simplify medicine so that people can spend less time and money on the care that they need or the care that they want for elective procedures. They decided not to take insurance and to have no administrative staff and no hospital affiliation. This allowed them to perform surgeries for as little as sometimes one-sixth the cost of their competitors. In 2009, they decided to begin listing the prices for all of their procedures on their site, listing the cash prices of every procedure they do, all the surgical procedures. This maximized transparency and accountability. And if you listen to the Liberty Block, you know how much I love accountability. Since then, they've seen patients come in for surgeries from around all over the world, all over the country, and some of them even leaving their slow and inefficient socialized healthcare model from Canada for opportunities to have their procedures done at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. They've operated on people from all 50 states, across who knows how many countries, and when we come back from the break, we'll be having on for the entire hour Dr. Keith Smith, the anesthesiologist who co-founded the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Welcome back to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH. I'm Elliot Axelman, and joining us we have Dr. Keith Smith, co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Dr. Smith, welcome to the Liberty Block. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a real honor to have you, sir. So first question, you opened up the Surgery Center of Oklahoma along with Dr. Lantier in 1997, is that correct? That is correct. About 20 years ago now, it doesn't seem possible. Yeah, so what inspired you initially to open up the Surgery Center? I think what inspired us was that we had come to the conclusion that the health care, the medical services people were receiving were very expensive and getting more expensive and the quality was deteriorating and that didn't seem like a value or a bargain for anyone so 
we we felt like as participants in that mess, we were we were really accomplices and felt like almost an accessory to a crime. And so we decided we could you know we could do it better, you know, put our money where our mouth was and and do it better, or we could you know find something else to do for a living. So we we just decided we would open up our own place and make that happen and. And that was 20 years ago. It didn't seem possible. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like living the dream, wanting to open up a surgical center and doing it and seeing the success that you've seen. So did you work as an anesthesiologist in a hospital or something before you opened this up? Yes, I did. I worked for uh, seven years in uh, traditional hospitals. I was recruited to Oklahoma City to do cardiac anesthesia, but had trained to do pediatric anesthesia as well. It just didn't take very long to figure out that it, it was just a mess. Yeah, and now you you do anesthesia for all types of procedures, or do you still specialize in cardiology and peds? Well, we um, we have an outpatient center, so everything that I do um, is outpatient surgery. Although we do keep some patients overnight, uh, total knees, total hips, hysterectomies. Uh, some major oral maxillofacial surgery procedures the patients stay overnight but uh, I I do uh, any kind of outpatient surgery that, that that's done basically at our facility I think we have over 250 procedures listed on our website now for which a bundle price is included Wow and how many doctors do you have in total how many surgeons and anesthesiologists um, you know I counted them up just the other day it's funny you asked that 106 surgeons uh, work at our facility now. We do we do about 8,000 cases uh, a year. And getting busier all the time. Patients are discovering our, our website and uh, thanks to the media that we've received, you know, like, you know, programs like this, somebody will go to our website and discover they can actually buy a surgery uh, and not not fear bankruptcy by some price gouging facility. Yeah, that's amazing. I saw you on Stossel, and that's that's my favorite. So once you've been interviewed by Stossel, that's, you've made it, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so when you first, 20 years ago, when you decided to, you and your partner, open up the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, what, how supportive was your family, and, and how supportive were your friends? Or did they think you were crazy, or did they think it kind of made sense? I think most people thought we were out of our minds. Um, we had, Dr. Lonti and I both had very busy um, anesthesia practices, um, and, and it was a it was a decision of principle. I had stopped taking money from the federal government five years before in 1993. Uh, I just I didn't think it was right to take money from my neighbor for a service I provided to someone across town that my neighbor didn't know. It seemed like I would spend the recipient of stolen property, and so I just treated Medicare beneficiaries free uh, rather than. You know, except what I thought of was stolen money and also to legitimize a truly illegitimate uh, Ponzi scheme, uh, which is Medicare. So those are the kind of decisions that were made leading up to opening up the surgery center. Uh, decisions like that are not mainstream. They're very out of the box. Uh, I was not popular with uh, many physicians for making uh, decisions like that and, and almost used the unpopularity of decisions as a bellwether for what I ought to be doing. Um, it, it felt wrong 
to just follow along and do what everybody else was doing. And and there's something about just go swimming upstream and really questioning everything that, that kind of opened my eyes so that I could see patients were being ripped off and they were being bankrupted and that I was part of the team that was that was enabling that. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. It, it, there were people that thought we were out of our minds. There were people that thought that we would be bankrupt in no time. And we were wildly successful from the very beginning. We, we, we were big and still are obviously big advocates of, um, of the free market. And we thought, you know, if we're better, you know, if we provide the quality that we believe unhindered by some price gouging hospital, if we provide the quality we think that we can at a price that we believe is affordable in a mutually beneficial exchange with a buyer, our waiting room should be full. And that's exactly what happened. Is we felt completely vindicated within just a few weeks of opening the facility. Yeah, absolutely. And that statistic that I read in the intro a few minutes ago, I actually read it last week on the air as well for some other reason talking about the American Health Care Act. The spending per capita in the U.S. was $147 a year on health care in the 1960s, and nowadays it's it's nine to $10,000 a year per person on health care. Me, I, I think that a lot of that was Medicaid, Medicare, and the certificate of need being introduced in the 60s. I'm curious to hear your opinion on why you think, what were the, the key factors in that insane increase? Well, the reason that people spend so darn much money on medical service now is because the market is not at work. And whenever I, whenever I talk to someone that really doesn't understand the basics of what's happened or the history of what's happened, they believe that the free market has been tried and failed in healthcare. This is not a failure of the free market. It's an absence of the free market. Exactly. If you, if you look at LASIK surgery or plastic surgery or you look at our facility, that's the market at work where prices are visible and patients can either comparison shop or they can use our prices to leverage a better deal in their hometown. We, we have patients print out our pricing all the time, go to their local hospital and say, you know, step up and match this or I'm flying to Oklahoma. So we're seeing patients from all 50 states except Hawaii. And, you know, the Canadians were the very first ones to show up when we put our prices online nine years ago. But Anytime you have a disconnect uh, where prices are ridiculously high, the quality is sporadic, you know, in, in other words, the value is a big question mark, that is always because there is some government state intervention into the marketplace that, that thwarts the natural co- cooperation uh, that individuals uh, typically engage in. I mean, we... I believe as individuals, we are naturally inclined to cooperate and seek out our own self-interest simultaneously and engage in mutually beneficial exchange. And anytime the government gets involved, personal preferences are distorted or completely obliterated. And it's no, it's no coincidence that the entry of you know, the federal government with the Hill-Burton Act, Medicare, and Medicaid was a complete disruptive uh, intervention into the medical marketplace. And it, it's really no mystery that prices just soared, quality stagnated, and it, I think it's very predictable. 
Yeah, that's what we see. The more free a market, the better the market, and the better the quality, and the lower the cost. And the more government regulation, the more cost increase, as we see, $147 to over 9000 And on the show, it seems every week I, I use the analogy of, of cell phones. You, you were around 10, 20, 30 years ago before cell phones were even created. And in the last 10 or 20 years, we went from having a, maybe a rotary phone or a home phone to now 90% of people in the country have in their pocket a phone that's also a more powerful computer than anyone could have imagined 20 years ago. <laughs> and and the cost is, is staying the same or it's decreasing to a few hundred dollars. I actually pay like $10 a month for my Droid S7, I believe I have now. And actually, going back to even healthcare, my brother just got a few months ago, he got PRK, which for the listeners, it's very similar to LASIK and LASIK. It's eye surgery. And like you were talking about free market, why can't we just get back to a free market in healthcare where if you want to see a doctor, you pay your doctor and you see your doctor. It's very simple. Now it's complicated with insurance bargaining and all that. If imagine, so he he got PRK. He paid forty five hundred dollars to the laser eye surgeon, and the laser eye surgeon did laser eye surgery on him, and now he sees better than perfect, better than twenty twenty. So it's very simple. It's like I wanted a Droid S seven. I paid money, or I pay monthly, and I have it. He wanted laser eye surgery. He paid money, and he got it. But we don't have that anymore. And like you said, people blame the free market. They don't realize we haven't had a free market in at least sixty years since the sixties. But we haven't had a free market in in most areas of the economy in, in a long, long time. So people, I'm sure people tell you also, they blame a lot of the issues with our economy on the free market, but we don't really have a free market. The issue is the regulation. That's what's causing the issues. Yeah, and I always try to remind people who believe that, you know, that this ridiculous price gouging, bankrupting sort of pricing that's prevalent in the United States would respond to heavier regulation from the federal government. And I I always try to remind people who think or say that, that the regulations that they would beg for and receive are written by the businesses, the giant corporate healthcare players who benefit most from those regulations. The purpose of these regulations is to provide huge barriers to entry and to destroy new competitors or to destroy small competitors so that only the giants remain. And so I, I encourage people to be careful what they ask for when they believe that the healthcare industry needs to be more heavily regulated because and what you end up with is what we have now where there are really only about four health insurance companies, if you want to call them that, in the United States. And prior to the Unaffordable Care Act, there were many more. But there were many regulations in the Unaffordable Care Act that wiped out some of the smaller um, health insurance companies. And, of course, that was the intention of, of these regulations. So, you know, appealing to government, which has caused all of these problems, to solve the issue, which it has basically caused, uh, I think is illogical. Yeah, so I want to ask you about insurance reimbursement rates and Medicaid as well. Um, but before that, who came up with the idea to list your prices online a few years ago? Well, I did. Um, and basically, we were we were being punished by the local insurance companies who hate us. And we didn't understand that because we thought, hey, cheaper and better insurance companies ought to love us. They make more money. But there's there's actually more to the story because they take gigantic initial charges and sell their ability to discount those charges and pocket part of the false savings. So there is a really weird uh, selling of discounts that goes on behind the curtain 
uh, which very counterintuitively inclines a big health insurance company from avoiding a place like ours that's high quality and fairly priced. So we were fairly priced and the insurance companies hated us and so they started um, a process that I refer to as stacking deductibles, which made it impossible really financially for patients to justify coming to my facility. And so we saw patients disappearing. We saw the volume of cases done at our facility dwindling, and we had to sharpen our pencils. So I canceled all the insurance that we had for our employees and embraced the concept of self-funding, where we, the Surgery Center of Oklahoma basically paid for the, the health expenses of our employees out of operational revenue rather than buy traditional insurance. And I did that as a cost-saving measure and also to gain some control. When I did this, I became a buyer, a real buyer of healthcare, and I realized, hey, all these other self-funded employers have the sticker shock. They actually care what this costs. And I thought, you know, I need to reach out to them and say, you know, what, what are you paying for a gallbladder removal? I'll beat it. And then I thought, well, no, I need to tell them. I mean, I need to come up with my own list, and I need to reach out to you know, these self-funded employers and you know, say, here's what we will do, an appendectomy for or, a, or an cruciate ligament reconstruction or whatever it was. And then I thought, no, I need to tell everybody for three reasons. One, we wanted to make ourselves more known to the patients and buyers that actually had that sticker shock and cared what their medical service cost. We also thought we would do everyone somewhat of a service by starting a price war. And then the third thing we had hoped for was that by putting our prices online, we could better understand the scam and the schemes that were engaged in behind the curtain that people don't talk about. And and I would argue, and I think could make a compelling case, that all three of those goals uh, have been achieved. But, but it was my idea uh, nine years ago uh, to put the prices online and launch the website. And those are the those are the three reasons really that moved me to do it. Yeah, that, that's so cool. When I first heard about it, someone had sent it to me. The Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Someone sent me, "Hey, Elliot, someone's posting their prices online." And like you said, <laughs> it, it sounds kind of crazy. And, I mean, in any other market, it wouldn't be crazy to list your prices. It's expected of companies or, or anything to list their prices. But it, I think it's so cool, and it creates more accountability and more transparency, and that's always good for everyone. So could you explain I, a little bit about the how insurance reimburses and specifically Medicaid? Because I know very little about this, but I've heard from some EMS companies that they don't like Medicaid patients because they get reimbursed very, very low percentages of the the price that the care costs. Well, and you have to distinguish between what physicians are paid and what the price-gouging institutions are paid. If you look at reimbursement of physicians over time, over the last 30 years, reimbursement to physicians is flat or has declined. If you look at reimbursement to hospitals and big institutions, their reimbursement has grown at an alarming rate. And that's across all insurances or just the Medicaid and Medicare? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at revenue, I mean, the the growth of revenue received by these price-gouging institutions is obscene. If you look at the growth in revenue over time physicians receive, it's flat or declining. 
So to give you an idea, in 1990, when I started my practice, I received $1,100 from Medicare for the anesthesia service that I provided for an open-heart surgery. Two years later, after the resource-based relative value scale, what I call the Rosemary's Baby of healthcare, it was delivered by Harvard. Two years later, I received $550 for the anesthetic that I delivered for an open-heart surgery. One year later, Medicare decided in their wisdom to cut again. And the last open-heart surgery for which I provided an anesthetic was six hours long, and I received $285 from Medicare. And that's when I decided I'm just going to do these free. I'm not going to be charitable at gunpoint. All of this central planning and top-down pricing is ridiculous. It doesn't work. And rather than legitimize this insanity, I just will refuse to participate. Yeah, that's, that's so, amazing. But now you look at the hospitals over the same period of time, they are collect, collecting obscene amounts of money uh, compared, to what they, compared to what they used to. There is some leveling off of institutional obscenity, but not much. Physicians are reluctant to see Medicaid patients because the reimbursement is so low. And, you know, price controls cause shortages. And we are all human beings, and there are certain, you know, there are certain laws like the law of thermodynamics. You know, there's <laughs> that's just what it is. So if you if you tell me you're going to pay me two hundred and eighty five dollars for a six hour complicated procedure, then I'm either going to be very reluctant to perform that service or unavailable. And so when you when you have top down pricing rather than legitimate pricing, which only emerges from the marketplace and from individual actors competing with each other for your business. I mean, that, that's the source of legitimate pricing is emerges from the competitive marketplace. If you, have, if you have central planners and bureaucrats and you have top-down pricing, it's always going to be wrong. It's either going to be too low, in which case you have rationing and shortages, or they're going to pay too much, in which case you'll have a surplus of a service provided. So what physicians are paid many times is below their cost by Medicare and Medicaid, and so physicians are very reluctant to see those patients. Most of the physicians that I work with have completely opted out of Medicare. The ones that have not opted out of Medicare, it's not Medicaid, this is Medicare. The ones that have not opted out of Medicare are very severely curtailing their exposure to Medicare patients. You know, many of them are saying, I'll see one new Medicare patient a week, or I'll see two a month. And all of this is from not just price controls, but in the case of Medicare, it's also a huge risk and liability because, you know, a simple mistake on a Medicare claim form is is criminal fraud, according to the Medicare police. Yep. You know, I tell I tell people that Medicare is the only insurance carrier that has its own F-16s and tanks, and that's not <laughs> yep, a coincidence. Yep. <laughs> so we have to go to a break for two minutes. Um, please stay on the line. We'll be back with a whole lot more questions. I have more questions about insurance, and I also want to want to get into how you're regulated because I want to make sure it's uh, still safe and ask about FDA and JACO and all that. You're listening to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH with Elliot Axelman. We have Dr. Keith Smith on the line, the co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. 
Be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH. This is Elliot Axelman, and we have Dr. Keith Smith on the line. He's the co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, a super free market surgical center that opened 20 years ago. Dr. Smith, before the break, you were talking about how you were reimbursed down all the way down to $285 for anesthesia for a few hours. What would would the bill have been if that would have been a private insurer? What was the bill for that service that you rendered? Well, the charge, the normal charge, an anesthesiologist would generate for for a procedure like that would vary. But I think most anesthesiologists for a procedure like that would expect a fair amount to be somewhere in the 2000 to $2,500 range. But because of the way the insurance industry is set up, uh, some of them pay a percentage of bill charges. Some of them pay some super percentage of Medicare. So it becomes this wild game where, you know, a, a surgeon or an anesthesiologist generates just some crazy bill knowing that, you know, to the degree that the bill is insane, that they are increasing the likelihood that they'll receive what they would consider a, a fair amount. So, I mean, you, you, I wouldn't be surprised for, to see an anesthesia bill for an open-heart surgery to be in excess of $10,000 just for the anesthesiologist, but no anesthesiologist would expect to receive that. The sick part is that the hospitals, unlike the anesthesiologist or the surgeon, can actually write off and declare what they don't collect off of their charge as a loss. And this is called uncompensated care. So you'll hear hospital administrators many times say, we have provided $50 million of care for which we were not compensated to the local community. What that really means is they were charging $100 for an aspirin. and And they collected $5 for the aspirin and they claim they lost $95. Now, it doesn't matter that they paid a penny for the aspirin. Yep. They claim they lost $95. And this helps them maintain the fiction of their not-for-profit status and also provides the basis for the kickback that they then receive from Medicare to the extent that they provide these uncompensated services. So, you know, most people are not aware of this uncompensated care scam. And that's a that's a big part of what goes on. And it's, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, that really is sick. That actually makes me angry. So ultimately, the reimbursement rates that insurances have, it, it's based off of the reimbursement rates that's that Medicare sets. So the federal government sets reimbursement rates. Yeah, many of the private, well, many, there are only four, really, of the insurers. They typically peg their reimbursement to Medicare. A fee schedule, which I think I can make a compelling case, is completely conjured and illegitimate. So the only recourse a physician has to enter into a mutually beneficial exchange with a patient is to completely reject all insurance. And we're seeing a lot of that. I mean, my facility is an example. The most disruptive a movement that is insurance rejecting is actually the primary care movement many people refer to as the direct primary care movement, where um, primary care doctors, family medicine, internal medicine, others, they basically enter into a contract with a patient where the patient agrees to pay 
a monthly charge, say seventy or eighty dollars. It's like a a gym membership. Yeah, I love it. And that's that seventy or eighty dollars then grants them unlimited access to that primary care doctor. And this is this is radical uh, because that that physician is completely rejected insurance, so their overhead goes way down. They typically, you know, these practices typically have one or two employees at the most, and it also disrupts the steerage to the big hospital where where they employ their own primary care doctors and whose uh, compensation is directly related to the extent to which they order tests, make referrals to specialists yeah. and and that and that's part of the reason that health that medical care services in the United States are so expensive. Yeah, and you said that you're seeing more primary care doctors start doing this subscription-based healthcare? Yes. Um, the direct primary care movement in the United States has just gone viral. Um, what what the Surgery Center of Oklahoma is doing is growing and going viral. And the Free Market Medical Association is, a, is an outfit I would encourage people to check out to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in this free market movement. There are... Um, there are a couple of guys, Josh Umber in Kansas, and my friend Lee Gross in Sarasota, Florida, who are the two leaders in the in the uh, direct primary care movement. And and I think to say this has gone viral is almost an understatement, uh, because physicians are, you know, they love to practice, practice medicine, but there are things about the practice of medicine they hate. And this direct primary care movement allows them to jettison all the trash and do what they love. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really good to hear. It's good to hear some good news as far as the free market and medicine. So those uh, direct primary care, I would pay a subscription fee of a certain amount of dollars a month, and that would include, I assume, most of the basic meds and procedures and tests? It would include um, no meds. However, most direct primary care doctors provide and dispense medications to their patients directly and after they have secured the benefit of a direct relationship with a wholesaler. So, for instance, I have an employee who is seeing a direct primary care doctor, and she paid $293 for a stomach coating drug called Caraphate. And she established the relationship with the direct primary care doctor, and she said, you know, I've got this Caraphate. You know, is there some way you can give me a refill? And he said, well, I've got it here in my office, and I'll sell it to you for $6. I love That's it. his cost. His cost is $6 for a medicine, and the quantities were the same. It wasn't like he gave her two and she bought 300 He gave her the same quantity, and she paid $6. So... Many of these direct primary care practices also dispense medications at wholesale rates. And people can save so much money just on their medicine and pharmacy copays that they can more than afford the monthly dues to the primary care doctor. This, this is also true for many uh, Medicare beneficiaries who fall into this donut hole gap with their Medicare Part D and what they would save by by contracting with a direct primary care doctor would more than pay for their uh, dues or their gym membership with that physician. Yeah, that's amazing. It sounds like an actual free market. Like you it, pay it for is. something that you want. So you know what I'm going to say next? The federal government must hate this. <laughs> you go to the head of the class. That is exactly right. I, 
it, it, it's just such a great idea. You know, people say, what are, you, what are you worried about most with this free market movement? And I said, my biggest concern and fear is someone from the government will write in and tell me they want to help. Yeah, exactly. Because that's when I know it's destroyed. It, you know, they just – everything they touch becomes corrupt and destroyed and distorted. And, yeah, I mean, the guys – now, there are exceptions. There are people in Washington, D.C. who love – the disruption of this movement. They are sick and tired of the cronyism and bankrupting people because they're sick. And there, there are very few people uh, that are that are completely disgusted by this that are in Washington D.C. But for the most part, you know, they like NASCAR drivers. They ought to be wearing labels that show their <laughs> <Yes>. supporters. <laughs> you know, supporters in the healthcare industry because you know they're all uh, for the most part they're bought and paid mm-hmm. for. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've talked about it so much on the show, and I've written so many articles about the FDA. I'm gonna have to send you an article later. I wrote one about the FDA. Remember the EpiPen crisis hit a year or two ago? Oh yeah. And so I was watching it on the news, and, and there were congressional hearings, and and Heather Brash, the CEO of Mylan, who had the license for the EpiPen, was under fire, and and congressman after senator after congressman, and these these FDA agents, they would all yell at her about something that didn't have to do with the free market. They would yell at her saying, how dare you make prices this expensive? And I'm here thinking I'm the only one in the country thinking to myself, yeah, she's probably a, a corrupt, like, evil witch, and she's probably a big crony, but that's not the issue. She can set any price for anything, whatever she wants it to be. The issue is, did her and her father, who, as you know, is a senator and was also a governor, did they conspire with the FDA to keep out competition? So I wrote an article called A Mansion of Corruption, because it's Joe Manchin, her father. And it speculates, and, and I'm pretty much 99% sure that they did use the FDA to manipulate others out of the market. And I, I made a timeline, and as they were increasing prices, they were pushing out more and more competition. For instance, no one here has heard of the alternative epinephrine auto-injectors to the EpiPen, like Adrenaclick or Twinject or Duoject and uh, the AuvQ. All of these were pushed out. They had very little market share, and they were pushed out totally. The FDA forced them to recall their products, and it's just one example of how the federal government controlling all these things with the FDA and JCO and, and all these agencies, they can really, like like you might say, pick winners and losers. They they picked a winner. They picked Mylan with the EpiPen to win, and that's what allowed them to raise prices. So the more the government says they're helping for the poor, for the children, I'm sure you've heard it a million times, it's for the children, it's for the poor, it's for the elderly, but they're really just hurting everyone. Yeah, and I, you know, the FDA basically acts as the strong man, as you've described, for big pharma. And you know, I used to use a drug called hyaluronidase that helped local anesthetics get to where they needed to go and do their job. And then there was this new recombinant DNA-generated hyaluronidase nobody could afford and nobody wanted to buy. And the next thing we know, the maker, Wyeth, for the affordable hyaluronidase was closed by the FDA for some undisclosed technicality. And then the only hyaluronidase that was available was this unaffordable stuff. So that, you know, there's such a long list. The FDA is really just the strong man for big pharma. It, there are many studies. You know, Professor Robert Higgs, the brilliant economist, the author of Crisis and Leviathan, People should YouTube uh, search him and watch his discussion of the FDA and the extent to which their presence um, in the healthcare industry has caused so much more harm than any sort of benefit that they could possibly claim. And, and so, you know, again, you know, government gets involved and, and it's a mess. And and 
you can blame, you know, the EpiPen folks. You can blame Big Pharma, and there's there's plenty of blame to go around. But people need to remember that, you know, any sort of health care or medical care purchase in the United States, other than that provided by those of us free market providers, any sort of exchange in health care is otherwise like a bank robbery. But but everybody needs to remember that Uncle Sam is driving the getaway car. I mean, all of these infractions and price gouging is all the result of liberty that's been auctioned off in Washington, D.C. to the highest bidder. And for all of the insanity of the cronies, for all of the examples of price gouging and bankrupting of the cronies, all of this comes from the federal government, and they need to get out of health care altogether uh, in order to let the free market thrive. So just to make sure I, I understand, you're saying I'm not the only person in the U.S. who thinks we could abolish the FDA, and that would save us oh, for – of course. Of course it should be abolished, absolutely. Oh and and But you have to promise me we don't stop there. <laughs> uh, you are making my night. Uh, so yeah, in the article, that, that's why I wrote the article, because there were already a lot of articles about the EpiPen. It was, it was so popular a year ago, but I wrote it because I was the only article I'd seen on the whole internet, mine, that called for, in the last paragraph, abolishing the FDA. And I wrote, worst case scenario, because you know people come at me and say, I'll do without the FDA – Things won't be regulated. Drugs are going to kill us all. Like, I mean, you, you're a free market guy. I'm sure all your patients after the surgeries, they die. I'm sure because you're not heavily regulated. So at, at, in the last paragraph, I wrote, worst case scenario, we all save $4 billion a year. That's the FDA's budget. And, you know, states, individual states, like, can actually come up with Oklahoma and New York can actually, like, create their own FDA maybe because states are competent just like the federal government is. So well, – you. Yeah, and you flip over a light fixture, and there is a stamp on there, UL, Underwriters Lab. And so you can have private label of qual- and quality control. But, I, again, I would encourage people to do a, do a search and watch Dr. Robert Higgs, the brilliant economist, talk about the extent to which people have died because the FDA – has released drugs inappropriately oh, absolutely. Under, the yeah. in, under the influence of Big Pharma mm-hmm. and the extent to which the FDA has denied people access to drugs that are life-saving and the folks that have died from those decisions. So, you know, these these all-knowing central planners who, you know, who think that they know what should and shouldn't be on the market, it's, it's a farce. Yeah, absolutely. We have to take one more break, Dr. Smith. Uh, when we come back, I want to take some questions from the Facebook live stream. There are a bunch of commenters with questions, and I think we have some callers on the line as well. We'll be back in two minutes. Please stay on the line, Dr. Smith. This is the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH with Elliot Axelman. Welcome back to the Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH. I'm Elliot Axelman. We have on the line Dr. Keith Smith, the co-founder of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. Dr. Smith, we were talking about regulation before the break and how the federal government uses the excuse to justify all their regulation that destroys the economy. They say it's for the children, it's for the poor, it's for the elderly. And anyone who disagrees is evil bigots like you and me. So can you just <laughs> tell our audience, for all the people who might want to ask, how can we know that your surgery center of Oklahoma provides safe care? Is it regulated by the FDA and JCO and, and all the other stuff? And, and how can we know? I mean, it seems simple. All your patients have not died in, in uh, I mean, if you really were not that safe, your patients would have bad outcomes. But 
Well, we actually are accredited by the AAAHC, which is a organization that credits surgery centers. I've done that so that all the folks who come see us from Alaska and Wisconsin, which, by the way, are the two states that send us more patients than anyone other than Oklahoma, they'll know before they get here that there is some private label quality measurement of our facility. But the real way to know that our facility is a quality facility is that we have embraced the principles of the free market. If we are not any good, our waiting room is empty. And if we do what we say we're going to do and provide a value experience, the number of testimonials of which are just can't even be counted on our website, and we provide a value service, our waiting room is full. So unlike most medical facilities that are full because they're enrolled in some managed care plan or that they accept you know, patients from some government program, we've just decided we are going to say, here's what we do, here's how much it is. If you think you know, we know what we're doing, come on. If you don't, that's fine. And our waiting room is pretty darn full. So I, I would argue that any facility like ours and the others that have copied us all over the country that embraces market principles, you can have you can have a pretty good idea that they are going to provide a quality service. Furthermore, that we are not lying to people, bankrupting them and price gouging them is an indication that we're honest. And so for me to promote the Surgery Center of Oklahoma as a provider of quality of care and we and if we weren't that that would be dishonest and I think inconsistent with our approach to uh, pricing and value delivery. Absolutely. We have a question. We have a lot of questions on Facebook. One of the commenters wants me to ask you, what solutions do you propose for lower income neighborhoods that can't necessarily afford the out-of-pocket payments? Well, as my partner Steve Lantier says, at the current prices in the United States, everyone is poor. You know, my, my idea, you know, the, the, the issue of people not being able to afford health care becomes much smaller and much more manageable issue if the market is involved, which tends to lower prices and, and causes quality to soar. So there will always be neighbors who are unfortunate or encounter some misfortune who are not able to afford the medical care that they or their families require. And that's where, as neighbors and communities, we're called to step up and help help those folks. But the idea that we bring, that, and, I, and I'd encourage people not to consider the plight of the poor in the aggregate, because that always invites some uber solution. You know, it always invites the possibility that we need a plan, we need a solution to cover the poor and the aggregate. People who are sick are individuals, and, and we need to consider them as individuals However, I will say it's not economically sound to consider the plight of the poor in the aggregate unless we consider the benefits bestowed upon the medical care marketplace in the aggregate by the market. So if I save an individual $50,000 because they came to Surgery Center of Oklahoma and didn't go to some price-gouging hospital, that is $50,000 that that patient has with which they can help better help their neighbor. So if we are going to consider the poor in the aggregate, I think that we have to consider, you know, the the benefits in the aggregate of the market. You know, that's kind of Hazlitt's what is not seen 
or Frederick Bastiat's What is Not Seen, I think to have an honest accounting of of the benefits, then you can actually look at, you know, how, how are we better able to help our neighbor? Exactly. And when people ask me, what about the poor? What about the elderly? I explained to them that $373 billion is given every year in charity by Americans. And when we get rid of government regulation, I'm not confident that we will, but if we got rid of all the regulation we have now, get rid of the FDA, get rid of the Medicare and Medicaid, that puts another four billion, ten billion, trillion dollars in the pockets of you and me. And then if you and I had a trillion more dollars every year, we'd give a lot more charity, right? Then we can pay the two, three thousand dollars for our friends and neighbors and family to get that procedure at at a free market surgical center like yours. So actually give the money back to the people and I, I give charity. I volunteered for three years in EMS as well and m- most people give even more charity than I do and plenty of people volunteer. And if we actually had more money, if I had the four, the 20 some thousand dollars I pay in taxes a year back, I could give a lot more charity and that alone could pay for how many five, six procedures at a place like yours? Well, and keep in mind too that the way Medicaid works in a lot of states is that money doesn't go to the people who need care. It goes to some crony Wall Street traded in, you know, company that doles it out and rations it out and keeps the skim. Yeah, that's so, a whole, whole you know, other big issue, yeah. Yeah, when you invite government in and you you know, you try to invent some system to help the poor, all you're doing is lining the pockets of the cronies typically and then providing rationed or unavailable care to, you know, the people who need it the most. Yeah, absolutely. We're up against the hard break in a second. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Dr. Keith Smith. What's the website again? My pleasure. No, thanks for having me. And what's the website if people want more info on the surgery center? Uh, the website, surgerycenterok.com. Thank you so much. As always, check out our Facebook page, libertyblock.com, as well for more info. Until next week, this is Elliot Axelman and Liberty Block on 1490 WGCH. Wishing you a great night and a great weekend.